National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Skimming headlines for this past week at the Register, readers would find Archbishop Georg Geinsfein defending Pope Benedict XVI's handling of sexual abuse cases. Plus, they'd find Pope Francis issuing two moto proprios and 15 Catholic leaders musing on the sacrament of marriage for Valentine's Day. And lastly, there was a story about Adidas's advertising of bare-naked ladies' tops when they intended to promote sports bras. Wading through these stories, we are joined by Shannon Mullen, Catholic News Agency's editor-in-chief, and Megan Schultz, the Register's latest intern. I'm Jeanette DeMello, editor-in-chief and executive director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. As usual, I'm joined by the EWTN News Washington Bureau Chief, Matthew Bunsen. Matthew, so good to have you. And um, Goodness, 10 years into this job, I never cease to be amazed at the level of interest in all kinds of news stories that we have at ncregister.com. I mean, it's just that that skimming of the headlines is almost ridiculous, right? <laughs> uh, it, I think that's safe to say, yes, especially the one about Adidas, but we'll, we'll talk it, about that later. Exactly. We'll get to that in segment two of this show. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite stories, um, and I had to mention it in the headline, even though uh, Valentine's Day is, is now long past in news cycles, um, was was what the uh, Register's uh, managing editor of the digital assets, basically our our web ma- manager, you know, Elisa Murphy, she pulled together this wonderful piece about uh, the beauty of marriage and just 15 different leaders uh, speaking about marriage. Really heartfelt. My favorite was Fran Mayer. I'm completely biased because uh, he was my former colleague, but also a longtime editor of this uh, very paper, you know, The Register. But Fran just had some beautiful words to say about uh, his his marriage. It's, it's definitely worth the read, and that's called Valentine's Day Catholic Love Connections, 15 Quotes on the Beauty of Marriage. But on that same day, on Valentine's Day, um, EWTN News uh, aired an important interview with Archbishop Geinsfein. Uh, the interview explains some some details of uh, kind of a clerical mistake uh, that was made when Pope Benedict and his team was responding to the uh, law firm's investigation into abuse handling. Matthew, how would you sum up that interview? What is the uh, the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is that uh, there are two things that I think Archbishop Gainsfine was trying to do with this, and we have seen this as really consistent uh, throughout this latest effort to, to demonize and really to destroy the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI. The first is that uh, we need to know exactly what actually happened, what was in this report, and what did they get wrong. What did the media especially get wrong? And I think uh, Archbishop Gainsfine in his interview with us was uh, very detailed in how the, the reporting especially on the part of the secular media got so much of this wrong. And then the other is to defend that legacy because mm-hmm. the real legacy of Benedict XVI is he was one of the greatest champions of overcoming and fighting the scourge of sexual abuse in the church, uh, certainly in the last hundred years, and, and certainly in the painful legacy of the sex abuse crisis, Benedict XVI has to stand as one of the heroes, not one of the villains. 
Right, exactly. And it's well worth watching that interview um, and just seeing it in his own words. So we encourage our listeners to go to either EWTNnews.com or to ncregister.com to take a look at that uh, video and, and our stories about it. Another headline that caught my uh, attention this week was at CNA, Catholic News Agency. It was titled, Could Biden Bypass State Laws by Placing Abortion Facilities on Federal Land? I know our readers are very interested in what's happening down in Texas, and and to talk about that story and others, we're joined by Shannon Mullen, CNA's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, Jeanette. So you and Matthew have the pleasure of being in the same studio. I'm in my home studio, very much wishing I could be there with a a three-way conversation, but I'm grateful for technology. so I hope that you two will kind of take this discussion since you're sitting in the same room there. But, but Shannon, as you know, many people are, are following so closely what is happening down in Texas. Uh, Texas is really, in, in some ways, leading our nation uh, with creative pro-life laws, but it's also become a battleground of you know, pro-life and pro-abortion uh, uh, sides, right? And right now we see something very interesting um, in this, I don't even know if it's a proposal, but this idea that uh, basically abortion facilities could be, you know, erected on federal land um, because it's becoming, it could become so difficult um, for abortion businesses to survive in that state. Is there any truth about this murmur about the federal land and abortion facilities? Well, I should say at the outset that there is no evidence that we see uh, concretely that the Biden administration would actually go this route, uh, mm-hmm. but it is a provocative proposal. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an intriguing idea uh, for sure, and this stemmed from – there was an op-ed at the very end of the year on December the 30th uh, in the New York Times uh, – Three legal scholars uh, pitched a number of ideas that they they described as kind of outside the box thinking uh, for the Biden administration and abortion rights supporters to to uh, to to discuss and uh, and to get creative and I, and you mentioned the Texas uh, the creativity of the Texas abortion law and I think this is somewhat a response to that uh, as you know that is going to be or that is uh, civilly uh, enforced by private citizens that's right. that's the twist there so that was outside the box thinking on the part right. of Texas and mm-hmm. so there so this idea uh, stemmed from uh, this scholarly proposal it's since been put picked up by um, other outlets, including most recently uh, the Gender and Politics News Outlet, the 19th, and we were really responding to that. Uh, uh, Eric Rosales in in, uh, EWTN's uh, uh, Capitol Hill correspondent also kind of made the rounds and got, got responses to this idea. Very good. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story, and I think it, it again, just shows how much of a battleground, um, kind of a pivotal moment. Everybody knows that this is such a pivotal moment um, for the pro-life movement. Uh, and so we have to watch all of these creative things on both sides to, to really see um, where this will go in the next six months and beyond. So thank you for keeping such close tabs on that and really following um, this creative thinking on on both sides of the aisle, if you will, um, of this very, um, uh, very important issue. 
you know, another news story this week, and, and for some of us, this is, um, this is difficult to follow. I, I think uh, you and I, Shannon, um, would, say, would, would maybe be included in some who think it's kind of difficult to follow. But out of Rome this week, there was another motto proprio from Pope Francis. And, and we were joking um, before, before the show that, you know, before our time at, at, at our respective Catholic news outlets, we did not even know what a motto proprio was. <laughs> um, but now they seem to be coming fast and furious. What's the latest one from Rome? The latest one from Rome that we've reported on this week uh, has to do with um, uh, amendments to the canon law of uh, both the Latin and Eastern churches. This was issued earlier uh, this week, and it is uh, very technical, so we're definitely <laughs> relying on, on Matthew to, to help shepherd us through <laughs> this. But uh, it involves some, you know, seemingly minor, but also, I guess, uh, changes that could have a major impact. Right. And Matthew, I'd love for you to weigh in, because you are the church historian, and, and uh, Shannon had this in one of his uh, stories from his team a wonderful graph of just how many moto proprios Pope Francis has had. And of course, these are pronouncements in the Pope's own uh, name. They, they're kind of like executive orders. And That's right. he has just had by far, um, almost twice, three times as many as Pope John Paul or Pope Benedict. And so That's right. what do you make of, um, of the latest moto proprio and, and this form of governance? Well, he's uh, issued, I think, in neighborhood of about 50 motu proprio since uh, his, the time of his election. So he sees these as uh, a real instrument on his part um, by his own hand mm -hmm. uh, is the technical definition for it. And it is basically him weighing in on a subject, and he is the, the lawgiver for the church. So this is certainly within his rights. At the heart of this uh, is Pope Francis's effort to decentralize. He has talked about that himself quite a bit, the decentralization of some areas of church governance. Mm -hmm. uh, we can use the, the other technical term of, of he's trying to implement uh, the subsidiarity in the life of the church to try to keep things at the local level. The interesting thing about this is that, uh, as Shannon was talking, some of the changes of the canons uh, have to do really whether or not uh, the changes or implementation of different things like the program for priestly formation and, and on the part of some Episcopal conferences, is it going to be approved or confirmed? And Pope Francis, rather than asking the, the Episcopal conferences to send this for approval to Rome, they are asking now simply to confirm their actions. The most significant uh, change in all of this, in my opinion, it relates to the approval that is no longer needed, but the confirmation for catechisms and the language of the catechisms. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, potentially going to be uh, not a firestorm, but I think it's certainly something that a lot of canonists and others are going to be paying very close attention to. Right, and that, that is actually a key graph that kind of stuck out to me, is the publication of, of uh, catechisms and the creation of seminaries, too. Guidelines for priestly formation, all of this is going to be much more regional. And, and really, this decentralization is something that has been at the heart of Pope Francis's um, governance, or at least what he has said he has wanted to do for quite some time now. Um, so it's 
you know, it, these things are finally starting to, to happen <laughs> um, little by little, and it seems like lately kind of in a fast way. Uh, this is the second moto proprio of the week, if I remember correctly. I'm getting right. maybe weeks mis mixed <laughs> no, up. No, you're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, the reorganization of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith uh, was just on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and what and so that I understand is is taking um, basically three sections of the Congregation for Doctrine of Faith and, and making it now two sections. Uh, uh, there was a, th a fourth section, I think Andrea Gaiarducci reported at Catholic News Agency, and that had to do um, with, in many ways, the traditional Latin Mass. That's and, right. And uh, that's not needed really anymore, and it's under the doctrine uh, section. What do you make of this change? How big of a deal is this? Uh, and what does what does it mean for kind of you and me? You know, well, it strikes uh, when you first read it as so. This is very inside baseball, but in the lives of ordinary Catholics, I think it's significant because uh, we are seeing sort of the vision of Pope Francis. Uh, we have two sections now: doctrine and discipline. And it's very clear that Pope Francis sees sort of the discipline section to be more important. And that includes, of course, the handling of abuse cases and other things. And then the, the question is going to be who is going to end up as the new head of this uh, reconfigured uh, congregation. And most of the money, uh, so to speak, uh, is on the Maltese bishop, Charles Shikluna, uh, who has been a longstanding official there, but also uh, an important archbishop in Malta. So he's clearly uh, seems to be the favorite heading into this. So our lives will be impacted as sort of Catholics in the pew by the focus of the congregation on cases, but also on discipline over doctrines. So we'll, we'll have to see. Right, and Edward Penton has written about Archbishop Shakluna in a profile at ncregister.com this week, so you can read more about him there. Uh, Shannon, I want to turn back to you. Uh, Matthew and I have kind of dominated this whole discussion, but we really, you're our guest. Um, is there anything that Catholic News Agency is working on right now or has, has written this week that I might have missed, but it's worth highlighting? Yeah, uh, like the, uh, uh, the register, we've had a few uh, features in the aftermath of the Super Bowl, which have been very popular. Uh, there was uh, uh, an interview that we had uh, with uh, a NFL kicker who was not in the Super Bowl actually is the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, Harrison uh, Butker, and he was talking to us. He didn't want to talk about football. We interviewed him on Super Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, he didn't want to talk about the game. He wanted to talk about the traditional Latin Mass. That was really <laughs> interesting. Uh, and we also had a feature on uh, Cooper Cup, who's the uh, MVP of the winning uh, Super Bowl winning Los Angeles Rams, had a, just an outstanding game and had some really heartfelt things to say about his relationship with God um, and uh, how his faith, his Christian faith, helped him through some tough tough times and ultimately, um, you know, led him to this terrific uh, platform and, and triumph uh, over the weekend. Uh, the other things that we've written about this week, and we're, it sounds like we're going to continue to uh, write about this issue and watch this issue, was, was uh, euthanasia right. and assisted suicide. So the Pope talked about this um, a week ago, uh, uh, plus now at his Wednesday audience, about the need for palliative care. And uh, just this uh, palliative care, meaning comfort of the dying, of the elderly, um, needing uh, medical assistance, but not uh, the ultimate 
blunt instrument of assist, uh, physicians-assisted suicide. And right. most recently this week, you saw the there's been a referendum push in Italy uh, to get uh, a referendum on the ballot, and that uh, for assisted suicide, some million signatures uh, were behind that, and that's been uh, struck down, which is which is very good news for Italy, I think. Right, right, and I, I not to turn from something so heavy to something lighter again, but y- you know, Shannon, uh, I can tell that you're a big sports fan because a lot of times in just our in our uh, goings back and forth, you bring up sports analogies. Uh, what is what is your sport of of uh, pleasure yourself? Your favorite thing to watch? I am a football fan. I love watching <laughs> football. Uh, I'm a I'm a Duke grad, so I'm a big college basketball, big Coach K fan. Of course, this is his last season. I'm watching that very, very uh, carefully. And uh, I was just telling Matthew, he asked me if I I played golf, and I said, yes, but not really well. (laughs) Very good. Well, we look forward to more of these features. They're they're really a great way to highlight uh, some role models who are out there in such an important field, like uh, the sports arena, but also bringing God into it, because we need more role models like that. Uh, So, Shannon, thank you so much for being with us today, and we'll hopefully talk to you soon. We'll be taking a short break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by the latest Register intern, Megan Schultz. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. Pursue what matters most in 2022. Life. Liberty. Truth. From the Capitol to the classroom, from the pulpit to the pew, EWTN's National Catholic Register delivers in-depth news, analysis, and commentary through the lens of the Catholic faith. With so much at stake in our country, there's never been a more important time to read the Register. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who's EWTN News' Executive Editor in Washington, D.C., Megan Schultz is also joining us, and I'm very happy to say she's our latest intern at the Register, working out of Washington, D.C. She's a junior at Hillsdale College, and her internship for the Register is through a program at the National Journalistic Center based in Washington, D.C., and it helps... uh, budding journalists to really learn the trade and to get a lot of practice. So she's getting a lot of practice in our pages and on our website. And Megan, I am so grateful to have you. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me. So you have had a few stories lately that really get at the core of a cultural ill today, a sickness in our culture that manifests itself in radical feminist ideology. It, it really distorts uh, true womanhood and and human dignity, really. 
I'm thinking about the story that you did on the Adidas ad that showed uh, 25 bare-breasted women, uh, just these images of, of these bare-breasted women. It seems that Adidas forgot the product that they were promoting, a sports bra. So what was the response to this ad? Yeah, there was a lot of similar reactions to that, a lot of confusion over what the intention was, over where the product was. Um, there were a lot of women expressing concern about the use of women's bodies as a form of advertisement. Um, some people were worried about it as a form of pornography or whether or not it was age-appropriate since it was uncensored on Twitter. Um, but it also had its supporters. Um, they explained it as wanting to support the body positivity movement, about wanting to normalize different body types. So there were also people supporting that aspect of it. Right, and this uh, story was called Adidas Sports Bra Ad Objectivization or Empowerment, and it kind of goes into the array of responses. I thought it was it was very well done, and it reminded me of another story that you did, again, related to something popular that was, that was happening out there in the Twitterverse world that we live in where shock shocking things are the things that people tend to click on and it was about rent a womb uh, it was a story of surrogacy and again it showed how surrogacy exploits women so really one of my questions for you is just what drew you to these two stories both of them as i said in in my lead-in kind of describe a um, a cultural ill or a sickness that we have that that just uh, perverts the true meaning of of femininity um, and and human dignity. What drew you to these stories? That's what draws me to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think stories, issues that come up in the news that affect women specifically always pique my interest. Um, particularly since secular or mainstream news outlets are um, typically always going to cover it and in a really specific way that isn't going to address the dignity of women in the situation or raise concerns or admiration when it is called for. Um, so they really strike me because we can't necessarily ignore issues like this because they're uncomfortable to talk about. Um, they'll still be happening, but we're going to miss out on that Catholic angle. So I think it's really valuable to think about why it was important that Adidas felt they could advertise the way they did, why celebrities are using, using surrogates, and getting to look at that from a Catholic perspective, I think, is super valuable. Right. I'm very interested in how you uh, became interested in journalism and and particularly in journalism from a a Catholic angle. Yeah, well, I'm currently a junior at Hillsdale College um, and I'm majoring in English, minoring in journalism. um, And I didn't even know the program existed at Hillsdale and really until my sophomore year when I joined an intro to journalism class. Um, My first piece I wrote for our school paper got thrown out and never got published. Oh, no. (laughs) So I definitely had a rough start, but journalism has just turned out to be such a great blessing. It's a great kind of compliment to what I love about the English major. Journalism is snappy and short and thoughtful, where English tends to be longer and more descriptive. So they're very different, but I definitely find journalism to be a lot of fun. And Catholic journalism kind of came up as I started thinking about more about where I wanted to enter into the world of journalism. And since I want to obviously direct my education and the skills I'm developing and my writing towards something that I genuinely care about, the Catholic faith, I want that to be the undercurrent of everything I do. So it's really valuable, I think, and a big blessing to get to incorporate that into my writing and into my reporting and as I keep learning at the register now. 
one of the really fun things about being a Catholic journalist is uh, we get to ask a question like, who are your saintly role models? Yeah, I really love St. Gimpna. She's a little less well-known, but she's actually my confirmation sponsor. She kind of crapped with my life out of nowhere. I'd never heard of her. And then <laughs> when I was getting ready for confirmation, she just started showing up everywhere and holy cards falling out of the sky. So I'm very thankful for her in stressful times. And then St. Jose Maria Escriva has been a huge blessing for me. He's kind of always maybe says the thing you don't necessarily want to hear but need to hear. So his book, The Way, is definitely a big part of my spiritual life. Oh, that's very true. I, uh, he says the things you don't necessarily want to hear but <laughs> yeah. need to hear. I find that often, too, with uh, St. Jose Maria Escriba. I, I admire him greatly as well. So tell me more about St. Dimpha. I do not know. She has never dropped out of the sky for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she was um, from Ireland hundreds of years ago, um, and she was very young when she died. She escaped from her father in effort to maintain her purity after her mother died. Um, and he was advised to marry her by one of his sort of like evil advisors that he had in his court. And so she fled the country and ended up building, I think it was either a hospital or an orphanage with a priest friend of hers before she died. So she's the patron of people struggling with stress, with anxiety, depression, things like that. So she's been definitely very helpful for me in times of stress, um, but also just a good spiritual friend to have. Absolutely, and especially when you're covering things that are not so pure, like the Adidas ad or surrogacy. Uh, so I can see how she is a, a great uh, companion on, on your journalistic journey as well. I have one, one last question, and, and you know, it's really beautiful to see your faith and that you wish to put your you know, professional life now and your future professional life at the service of your faith. What's your advice for young people today? You, you know, for embracing Catholicism in a culture, it's, it's difficult to do, right? To em embrace Catholicism in a culture that doesn't seem to value religion. What's your advice for other young people who may be struggling to do that? I think, especially as young people, we're all sort of in the spiritual trenches together. Um, we're all looking for something permanent and good that we can trust when there's a lot of things that are changing in our lives at our age. And so, obviously, that person is Jesus. So even if we're not going to get it right all the time, I think being able to just or deciding to pursue a real relationship through a daily prayer life and learning what his voice sounds like and looking for his face in the Eucharist and his hearing the confessional is incredibly worth it and hard and noble, but still holy. So, and I also just think community and service are so essential, but hard to find sometimes. So I think kind of getting out of the comfort zone and going and doing that missionary summer that you don't think makes a lot of sense or showing up to your local youth group or getting coffee with people can be really good and help a lot with feeling like you don't have community or support where you want it. Well said, Megan. We are very grateful um, for you in this internship, and we look forward to the next few months of your writing and, and just, again, more of you on this radio show to share uh, that perspective, which is so needed today. And dear listeners, remember for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN Radio. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. And until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. 
Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.